Robert, good morning. It is officially the month of September 2020. How do you feel about this? I feel like we were just celebrating the birth of 2020 in January. Now it's September. We've done nothing. Literally nothing has happened in nine months. I feel like September marks like we're about to escape, though. It's like the light at the end of the tunnel. September is it's I mean, it's the start of fall, essentially. It's not going to feel yeah. like fall for a couple of weeks, but it will. I guess it will in Chicago. Chicago is a miserable place where it feels like fall in July. It feels like fall in July and uh, and <clears throat> summer summer in February. Yeah, but no, it's uh, not. No, there's no light at the end. The only light is that it might be 2021 in four months. That well, that's exactly what I mean. That's exactly my point. We're escaping 2020. This this awful awful year. Well, hopefully, hopefully we get a little bit better society-wise in the next three months. That, that won't happen. Well, it, it could happen on November third. Uh, <laughs> November fourth, it's going to go we, back to we, normal we, in we one continue. one capacity or the other. Sure, sure. Well, welcome back to the morning brushback. Thank you for joining us. It is the start of September. What a momentous day! Today we're going to talk about habits. Uh, I think this is actually a pretty wide-ranging topic, so this might might get us through our hour today. But, uh, Bobby, you had some other topics on the docket. What do you got, sir? I got trade line uh, topics to talk about. A lot, of, a lot of activity with the Padres. The Padres are hot team right now. The Padres are like the – they're like Rio the flavor. Dingers. Yeah. Yeah, they're like the flavor of the month. But – uh no, the topic I wanted to talk to you about and it's is joining a team mid-season, not necessarily being traded. I mean, you don't really get traded as a minor leaguer that often or an independent guy, but you do switch teams. So have you had any experience joining a new team mid-season? Well, they do trade. They do trade people, but – and you know that. But Yeah, but uh, not – I mean, as a minor leaguer, you don't really experience it very often. A I lot suppose, more as an independent. A lot more as an independent player, player. yeah. Correct, yeah. Uh, Well, I didn't get traded. Well, I got traded my last – so technically the way my career ended, I was pitching terribly for Long Island, and rather than release me, which they had every right to do, I had like a 7.4 ERA or something, uh, they were trading me to their sister team, the Bridgeport Bluefish, which they were like in last place at the time. That's kind of what they did. They would just like take good players from Bridgeport because they're owned by the same uh, parent company when they needed them and they'd like send them up to Long Island, they would like get rid of their players they didn't want and they'd send them down to Bridgeport. Yeah. We all knew that was true. So I did not deserve to go there. Like it was fine, whatever. But um, I hadn't let on how bad my shoulder was. So when they told me I was being traded and when Bridgeport called me and was like arranging my travel, I was like, hey, just want you to know my shoulder's pretty messed up. Uh, I haven't let on as much as I, I maybe should have, but – it's because I'm like a typical athlete and, you know, not making a fuss about stuff. But I'd really like to get healthy. <laughs> that would be wonderful <laughs> if I'm getting a fresh start here. So maybe we could talk about that. And then they, like, quickly call the Ducks back, like, hey, we don't want him. Trade's off. So We're good here. We're good. Then I, then I, then I was just out of a job. I was released, uh, which was also fine. Because I wasn't about to just go to a new team and just continue to do the same thing. I had been doing because I had I had been pitching terribly and I needed a change and a change of scenery without changing the situation wouldn't have been good. So I, I did need to get healthy. Uh, but I actually did get, so I didn't get traded. I joined it, the Fargo Redhawks in 2011 mid-season because my, the, t- the team I started the season with financially collapsed. And so uh, we were all just like, basically our, our ship sunk. So we were all like yeah. rowing away, but my team was 20 and 10 at the time. So everyone wanted to get players from this team. So I signed with Fargo and I joined them. And it was a nerve wracking situation because they were like excited to get me. I had a 3.9 ERA. I had been a starter. Um, I've been pitching well. They were down to four, a four man rotation. So they're like, hey, this is great. Blue it. Like we're gonna pay, we'll pay for your travel. Like, stop at a hotel, like keep all your seats. Like we're excited to have you. We're going to throw you in the rotation. It was the first time in a long time for me. Cause I was a no scholarship kid in college. The first time in a very long time that anyone like wanted me that I was like important to them. Right. So it's a nice it feeling. 
It was, but you know what comes with that, Bobby? Expectations. Yeah. High. Uh, yeah, pressure. And so in general, I always keep quiet with a new team until I do something. I don't feel like I'm going to like knock down the door and just act like I own the place and act like, you know, really comfortable. I, I think there's a, a, something to be said for earning your stripes and proving to your teammates that you belong there, even though your resume, obviously like your resume does that too. So you shouldn't have to prove yourself everywhere you go. Like Mike Trout gets traded. He doesn't need to prove that he's Mike Trout. But you right. still probably, you know, tread lightly. Like you're almost in someone else's home for a minute until it becomes your home. But as it happened with me, I just didn't pitch well. And so that that pressure kept spiraling and getting bigger and bigger. Like after one outing, that wasn't good. Then after a second outing, that was poor. Then after a third outing, that was poor. Then, uh, you know, a lot of stuff just kept getting worse where I was very aware that I just like – my new teammates probably thought I wasn't worth a, a darn. And uh, that's difficult because you're coming in mid-season. They know you're doing – they have again, like you said, they have expectations. They've seen what you did prior. They expect certain things out of you. You try to live mm-hmm. up to them, and then you put more pressure on yourself, and then you try a little bit harder. And when you try harder at anything, you get way, way worse at it. So it's this, this uh, inverse relationship between trying hard and being good. And uh, it's really tough. So, you know, the more you do it, just like anything, the more you get, it gets easier, I think. But, um, yeah, it's tough. I'm, and, of course, that's just, I've only, I've only had that once. So I'm sure lots of other guys who've been journeymen who've been traded multiple times, you get traded under different circumstances. You know, if, like if it was me leaving Long Island, going to Bridgeport, it probably would have been a very different feeling because – Hey guys, I had nothing to lose. I had a terrible season. Just want a fresh start. Like feel relaxed. I'm out of that place where I was doing terrible. It's like you're escaping something rather than, right? You know what I mean. So joining something good. Yeah. So I think I think it depends a lot on the context and just like anything, it just gets easier over time. Because what you don't want to do is what I did, which is succumb to expectations and and put more pressure on yourself because it doesn't help anything. So I want to relate it a little bit to youth baseball, if I can. Um, go for these, it, sir. Yeah. Well, it's kids that kids that bounce from team to team. And it's funny because I talked to, like I talked to our head coaches and our youth head coaches, our dads and their wives obviously sit with the parents normally. So when players like change teams often, you know, you'll go from your team at nine, you new team at 10, you new team at 11, you like, not only do people know that, but it's also like for the kid, which is why like neighborhood baseball is still kind of a thing, at least at, when the kids are younger. Like that's nerve wracking because I, I see it and I also get feedback as someone who runs a program. Like I've gotten multiple, multiple times there have been parents being like, yeah, we don't really feel welcome on this team. You know, the parents have kind of have their clicks. And I would yeah. say it's probably more parenty than the kids. Like kids are friends with everybody. They don't care. They just – they, whoever you put them in front of, they're going to play with, hang out with. Mm-hmm. But for the parents, it's like you, you join a new team, you essentially walk into a new quote unquote locker room of parents that you kind of have to infiltrate. Like they've got their, you know, these moms hang together. These dads are down the sidelines talking together. You know, there's the group of dads that probably bring the cooler. Like how do you infiltrate that? So it's kind of, it's funny dynamics as someone who's on a, who's like overseeing a lot of it to to see new parents join a group of of like an established team or a group a core group of kids because you usually do have a core at each age group that moves up and down together or a or one of those core players that's like all of a sudden not probably good enough to be on that top team so you move them down and the parents are like all upset and then that's when i get calls like do you really have to move down joey like you know he's a good kid his parents are great it's like, nah, Joey can't be on this team anymore. Sorry to break up your friend group. But it's I see it more with the parents, which is actually kind of funny. Like your experience walking into a new locker room, that's what I picture not having kids, having a child, moving them to a new team or like transferring them to a new school. Yeah, I, I think infiltrating friend groups is probably the wrong word. I don't think you want to infiltrate <laughs> your way into places. I think you want to you know, just fold yourself into those social circles. Just roll it in there. Um, but yeah, you infiltrate with a paintball gun. 
That's uh, that's how you you do that. That's the that's that's the. I need to give a visual for those just listening. You have to yeah. you walk right up to a core group of ten players on that on your new twelve U team, and you push everybody aside and jump right in the middle of that group. Make new friends. Mom. Exactly. Um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, just like anything else, I think. I mean, I think it's wildly known that it's easiest to make friends when you have commonalities and. I think even even as a as a parent trying to like get into the new parent click on a new team, I don't know. I don't think it's really that hard to be honest with you. I, of course, I don't have kids. I'm not trying to do this, but can it really be that hard? I mean, you're on the same baseball team. You can't just go stand there with the dads and just like start chit chatting like your kids on the team, ask them about the coach, ask them about tournaments. It well, seems pretty I easy. I mean, as I far as like tougher. social interactions go, you know. Yeah, I think it's tougher when you're joining like a, an established core group of kids or core team. And all of a sudden your team or your son is on the team and maybe, you know, Joey's dad's best friend's kid just got the boot from the team. It's like, there's going to be some resentment there. Like their kids, but they're one of their kids friends is no longer with the team and it's not by his choice. It was that he just wasn't good enough or mm-hmm. so I could see it be, I could see it trickling down to the parents. I just, I mentioned that because I had this and I had this, with a specific family mm-hmm. and they kind of, they mentioned it multiple times throughout the year. They're like, Oh, we don't feel welcome by the parents. We don't feel welcome. And I'm asking the coach and I'm texting him. I'm like this, you know, so-and-so doesn't feel welcome with the team. And he's like, I don't know what he wants us to do. We invite him everywhere. We, we have team parties. He's there. Like, what does he want us to do? We're adults. And his kind of, his thing was we're adults. Like you can be an adult with us or you don't have to be an adult with us. But it's joining yeah. a new team as an as an adult. Yeah, you you kind of like tiptoe around the clubhouse and you you try not to cause waves, especially if you join a good team. Like so, we brought this up because Mike Clevenger got traded to the Padres, which is a pretty big deal. If you're the Padres, you're making a splash, like you're trying to go for it. Mm-hmm. And Mike Clevenger is walking in there as an established, you know, big leaguer, like a good pitcher. He'll probably jump to the top of that rotation. So, you know, is he coming guns blazing, like take over the personality of that team? No, he's probably going to try and mesh with what the personality of that team is. And you don't want to be the guy that disrupts that because they have something good going. So it's different when you're, you know, pro athlete, especially when you're a hired gun to take the team to a level that, you know, they wouldn't previously have gotten to. Yeah, no, that's fair. Uh, I mean, the dynamics are always different and you never know, like, Teams, they really do vary. Clubhouses really do vary and personalities. And it can be dictated just by like a couple of dominant players, especially on a smaller team, like 12 players. You know, you have a couple of clicks of four. You know, there's not a whole lot left after, right. you know, that. So, yeah, I don't know. I mean, in a baseball dynamic, obviously, like you, you always sort of break up by your position because you spend the most time with those people. And pitchers are way smarter than position players, so it's hard to be around those so, idiots that much. Yeah. It's, it's just tougher to be around them. They're annoying, and they, like, have <laughs> bats everywhere. Um, much, they have too much equipment for you. Yeah, it's an equipment issue, but you know how it is. I don't know. Clicks are interesting. It is. It is. It can always get clicky. I don't know. I have a problem with kids picking their travel teams based on their friends. I think they. Sh- I think too often kids go where their friend group goes without making an informed decision about whether that team's actually good for them. Right now, sports are about having fun, so that should be a consideration. Like, if you really just want to like have fun, play ball with your closest buddies, and that's great for you, so be it. But for kids that are really serious, who are like, yeah, like I really want to get college exposure and I really want to do this. And I really, I'm like, then why are you chasing your friends on this team where your friends don't feel that way? And your friends are kind of trash at baseball and you're really good, but yet you're still like doing what they want you to do. Right. Like those two things conflict. You know, if you just want to, if you're on the same level as your buddies, like you're all really serious, high level players. Great. Stay, stay together as a group. That seems like a good fit, but sometimes there's a mismatch of intentions among players who are really close friends and i don't know it can kind of be like a drag you down situation so i'm gonna i want to transition before we talk about habits because i had this discussion with a player and i want your i want your take on it so we've got a really good 17 u player um 
and I'm talking to him about myself and the other coach talking to him about his future. Like where's his future for college? And he's a, he's our shortstop. He's a good shortstop, not the best hitter. Uh, haven't gotten good feedback on him hitting. I've sh- we've shared that with him uh, for college. So like his ceiling for college as a hitter is probably junior college. Even some of the D threes don't want him as a shortstop. However, they really want him as a pitcher. He's pro- he's a pitcher that touches 90. Like he's, he's a high level pitcher, but he doesn't want to focus on pitching. So we're having this discussion he's going into a senior year of high school. Um, and I tell him, I said, look, what are your goals? Like, and he said, he wants to play professional baseball someday. I said, okay. I said, that path is as a pitcher. I said, if you're going to play, it's going to be as a pitcher. I said, so if that's the goal, I said, your habits, like what you're doing to meet that goal by splitting time, doing both. I'm like, you're not like you're what you're not gaining ground towards the end game. So I guess my question to you is, do you have it? What do you, what advice do you have for someone like that? For a kid who's, who's in limbo, like he wants to do both still. He, but he's clearly excelling at one more than the other. And he has aspirations to get to a place where you can't split your time and try and master multiple skills. I mean, it just comes down to what he wants. Like if you want to be a D three shortstop or if you want to be a D one pitcher, that's a, that's a very distinct choice. I mean, when kid says, I want to play pro baseball, I don't think they, I don't think they mean it in the sense that I just want to play it in any position that will take me. I don't think that's really how they mean it. Typically, they see themselves as like the shortstop on a minor league field, right? If they're a shortstop. Right. I well, mean, he, se- he sees himself like he knows. He's acknowledged to us that pitching is like that's where his, that's where his future is. So, like, we got him to admit that. Like, his parents were on the call where, you know, we're stressing this. You know, you have a future in pitching if you want it. You know, you're going to be – you could be a big-time arm. He does have a great arm. Like, kid's got an absolute cannon for an arm. And he's never focused on pitching. He's, you know, he's double-digit strikeouts every time he goes out there. He's efficient, works fast. He's got a good feel for for the mound. So I just like as to to segue into habits. Like his end goal is to play professional baseball, and we kind of mapped out what position that would be. Yet all of his actions leading up to trying to get there don't match. Like they're not on the same path. So it's like the conscious the conscious effort to attack what you're good at versus attack what you're passionate about, which is playing shortstop and being like a high school shortstop. So I would yeah. trying to stress that to him and kind of segueing into what we're going to talk about here in a minute is like, you have a goal, you set a goal that you're trying to reach. Well, what are you doing to obtain that goal? Like you're not doing anything to obtain that goal as far as like I w- I'm concerned on, in this specific scenario. Yeah, well, I I think one of the things to remember in this specific case is that he's probably emotionally like mourning his career as a shortstop a little bit, the way baseball has been his whole life. I mean, there's like a period where you're like, man, I don't get to do that anymore. Like he's got a year left. Like he probably wants to savor it. He probably doesn't want to stop hitting now because he only has a year left of it, right? So I think there's something to be said for that, that, you know, you can – say all right well i've only got a year to go like let's continue to hit and have fun and milk it while i've got it i don't think that's wrong do you i don't think it's wrong but i it's when you've when someone has a ceiling like we took extra time with him because when someone has a ceiling that's much higher than a normal prep athlete like if someone's going to top out as a division three division two player and not play past that whether he's a position guy or pitcher like yeah you're probably going to mourn it and and see, you know, feel like your career is coming to somewhat of an end. But when you're a guy who's got a potential to play past college and guys are stressing that to you, like, hey, you focus, like, college is not the end game for you. Like, you could play past. Like, I just – then I would think your competitiveness would kick in and your – and, like, your want to – to reach that goal would kick in, especially when you emphasize, like maybe he was just lying to us, right? Like maybe he was just saying he, yeah, he wants to play professional baseball and he knows it's going to be as a pitcher, but maybe he's just saying it because we're saying it and he wants to just say what we're saying, like, you know, reiterate it back to us. And it's not what he actually wants. 
Which is okay I mean, too. I mean, people do, yeah, people do it all the time. They're like, yeah, yeah, you're right. You're right. You're right. I, I, I hear you. <laughs> then they, they don't, don't, hear, they don't hear me. They, well, they don't, they're just not ready yet. Like, again, like who knows if this kid's ready to, to get rid of that. Cause it's not just switching positions. It's like him realizing that his like childhood dreams of playing shortstop at the next level just like are not happening. Right. So, I mean, it's a major, it's a major pivot, you know, like, I don't know. I think some, I think a lot of guys will just, when they realize, it, you know, it's like, say you graduate college and it's like, Hey, here's a contract. Cause they're 96. Do you want to keep playing or do you want to go into the workforce, you know, for like a third baseman? That's a little yeah, easier. It's like, all right, well, sure. let's, let's go. Let's go. Cause otherwise I'm getting a job at a bank. Um, but in this case, it's kind of like a little more voluntary where some players do turn that down and they say, no, I'd rather be happy and play shortstop in college or play the outfield. Um, I can't think of an example, but I know we've had at least one player do that where they just like, they just don't like pitching. Yeah. And, and there's more okay. context. There's more context to it. One of the, which being like cost of college is, is an issue. And he, he'll have scholarship offers as an arm, whereas he's got nothing coming in as position guy. Like there's, there's more obviously details. I'm just talking about, like the overarching idea of what this player is saying that he wants to play professional baseball. He's identified at what position he would be a professional baseball player. Yet we're not doing anything to try and get to that goal. Like we're not creating any habits to try and get to that goal. We're not creating any structure to try and climb the ladder to that goal. We're just saying it out loud. You know, that's like me telling, you know, I want to be a college graduate, but I never attend class in high school and I don't, try and get good grades and I don't even apply to college. Like, okay, well, you got to do a few things before you just want to, before you just graduate college to kind of get to that point. So that's like the, that was the overarching theme is that what are you doing to reach this goal? Or are you just spouting out goals without having any plan to get there? Well, again, I mean, obviously at the end of the day, it's got to be intrinsic motivation from him. If he's going to be worth it anyway, he's not going to just, drag his feet through college into pro baseball as a pitcher. Like if he wants to be that good, then he'll end up having to put in the work himself. Right. You know, which means being internally motivated. And, uh, if he just really hates pitching, then he just, you know, he's just gonna, you're gonna have to drag him down that path and, you know, kicking and screaming or he'll just quit after a freshman year because when you when you convert to pitching and then you're a freshman at d1 you get shelled a lot and you suck so then it's not fun at all you're like i hate pitching in the first place now i'm getting shelled i'm not even good at it i hate it even more maybe i should just be a regular student and that happened that happens too because pitching is hard in college and just because you throw 92 doesn't mean you get anybody out. There's a lot of guys in college now. There's more guys in Division One than ever who throw 90 who can't get anyone out, like never get it out. They're right. terrible, terrible at pitching. So that fate, you know, is there too. All right, so let's segue into, into our main topic today, habits, creating good habits. Uh, so I put together this little poll. And I think this is, so I've been, I've, I listened to a book on habits six months ago called Atomic Habits. I thought it was okay. A short read. It was kind of like a, I don't know what, I don't know who this guy is. He's not like a researcher or anything. He's just like a dude. And he had like a blog about habits and then he had got a huge following somehow. And he's like, Oh, I guess I'll write a book about habits. And it's like five hours long. So it's like informative and whatever. I think it's fine. The one I just finished was called Good Habits, Bad Habits, and it's by an actual researcher. Um, now, I want to say actual. It doesn't mean like you have to be a certain thing to write a book. You certainly don't. Um, and I think Atomic Habits is a good read, but uh, I like this one more. It had a lot more research, and it was kind of w- more wide-ranging. More of the underlying things that build habits and human psychology and why we do the strange stuff that we do, because humans are really bizarre robots. Um, so... Anyway, one of the topics is like, why do we, why do we not do things when we intentionally do that, want to do them? Like, I want to get out of bed in the morning and go for a run every day. A lot of people have that thought, but yet they don't really follow through on it. 
a lot of people have lots of really, like really strong intentions. Like they really do want to quit smoking. They really want to do lose weight. They really want to be a pro baseball player, but like the habits just don't get built and like the work just doesn't get done. So I put this poll on Twitter Do the hardest working athletes consciously strive to keep working harder, like really strong intentions or have they established great habits that make putting in higher workloads automatic and consistent? Which one would you vote for, Robert? Uh, I voted for establishing, establishing habits, uh, great, establishing great habits on your poll. And yeah. I am in the I am currently in the majority, but we yeah. still have 23 hours left. Not a lot of votes thus, thus far in the 40 minutes has been up, but yeah. And that's, that's pretty much what the book says, which is the basically like when you talk about people that she said for certain habits, they take longer or shorter to, to, to get going. And like fitness is one that typically takes about five weeks. And she said, most of the people that are like the most fit that, you know, that um, are constantly working out, they're not spending a lot of mental energy actually trying to get themselves to do it. And, you know, like maybe like the first five minutes of their morning run is kind of tough. And the last maybe five minutes is kind of tough, but the middle parts like not really tough. They just like do it. And, and the getting it done in general becomes not very hard over time because they've built the habit where they actually don't spend much conscious energy maintaining it. So you say, Oh man, you've run every day for 30 years. Like my dad has, my dad's run every day for like, more than that, like 45 years. Although he doesn't actually, I should, he, he ran every day for like 30 or 40 years. He doesn't run every day anymore. He runs like three days a week now as a, as a 70, <laughs> 73 year old. Um, but you start to think of like, how did you have the willpower to do that? Where really what the research says is that once you build a strong habit, it doesn't take much mental energy to, to do it. Just like it doesn't take any mental energy to brush your teeth in the morning, right? Like you just right. wander out of bed as a zombie you walk in there, you turn on the faucet. That's a habit. You like all those things are just like automatic. Sure. Um, and so that's a, it's an interesting way to think about all this stuff where if you're a parent or you're an athlete or your coach, it's almost like, how can you help your players become more robotic and really build the habits that will help them get to greatness rather than like everyone trying to motivate and like rah, rah, because it's, it's, it's mentally overwhelming to be fighting yourself to try to lose weight every day or to try to get your batting practice in or try to like do your pitching drills. Right. It's like mentally exhausting to like, to be like going through your day and you're like, all right, I got to find time to do my pitching drills. Like I got to find time to do this. Like I'll do it at four 30. No, I'll do it at six 30. Oh, I didn't, I didn't do it at six 30. I'll do it at seven. I'll do it at eight. Right. I'll do it before I go to bed. Like that's, that's what, when people feel really bad about themselves, including myself, like all of us do that. Right. Like I'm going to do this healthy thing today and you keep putting it off because it's not a habit yet. And then by the end of the day, you didn't do it. And then the next day you don't do it. And then you just are like, man, like I want to make this change, but I can't. Right. No doubt. No doubt. These like establishing like good habits like that is very, especially from the onset, like using working out kind of like exercising example, like you don't see the immediate benefit of work of exercise day one. Like you feel it, like you feel good. Like I've never gone to the gym and felt like, man, that was a waste of time. Even if the workout was bad, like doing anything is better than doing nothing. But true. The, the establishing the good habit part, because we're, we want immediate gratification on everything as, as humans, like you're not going to see a six pack after one 15 minute ab session at the gym. Like you, you need, to continuously do this habit and start to see results. Like it's actually nice to like, when you see not nice, but just like you see people post their progress on, on their social media and stuff like that. Like that's a good way to keep yourself motivated and continue to establish good habits. Like whether it's exercising Mm -hmm. or eating healthy, but as someone, not as people who want immediate gratification, it's hard to establish those good habits when you don't see anything like on a one-off day. Like I don't just go bench press and all of a sudden have a bigger chest and I can do 400 pounds. Like it needs to be a consistent habit over time. And like you said, dude, you put the, we put those habits off and put those, uh, put those daily routines off because they're not habits yet. So like you fight that internal struggle and it's, it's more mental. I almost feel like, um, yeah. Than anything else. 
Well, and that's what I think sometimes people think about high achievers. Like you think of like a, of like the late Kobe Bryant who talked about how he'd like, you know, outwork everyone, be there later and all that stuff. And that's true. Like the desire to like stay later after practice and stuff like that. Those aren't necessarily habits. They're more like attitudes, right? And like, I'm not ready to go home yet. But at the same time, getting up in the morning every day and getting in a workout or getting up and reading or just getting out of bed faster, or like any of that stuff, which all applies today during COVID times, because everyone just wants to stay in bed and just hope that it's 2020, not even 2021, but maybe like 2022 is safer. I'm not even sure 2021 is going to be better yet. No, it's not sure. There'll probably be like a horde of snakes or something, but yeah. So the, in the book, Atomic Habits, he kind of talks about how to make behavior change and it kind of breaks it down to, we'll see, it's like four things. So number one, make it obvious to make it attractive, three, make it easy and four, make it satisfying. And then sort of like the opposite is true for other things. So for one example is, and I know a lot more people are doing this now. If you want to get off of Instagram or Twitter on your phone, what's one thing you can do to make it hard rather than easy? Leave it on your phone. Leave, leave it off on your phone. Leave the app. Well, leave the app off your phone. Yeah, to make it harder. Right, right, right. And, and make yourself log into the browser and enter a password and all that stuff to go into it. That just, right. it, just it creates friction, right? It makes it hard to do that. So, for example, like leaving your phone in a closet instead of like having it next to your bed. If you don't want to check it in the morning, waste 15 minutes in bed before you get out of it. Yeah. Stuff like that. Um, making it obvious or like putting things in like one great example is there's been a lot of studies about food where people will just eat the thing that's closest to them. So if you want to eat more fruit, like get a, literally get a fruit bowl and put it on your kitchen, like make it the most accessible thing. Like how often do you have something in your, in your fridge that you don't remember is there? Cause it's like kind of hidden. Like maybe it's something good. Like I remember I've like lost a steak every now and again that I'll buy. And it's like, it's, I just put it like underneath and then I forget that it's there and it's not just forgetting, but it's just like you'll eat the quickest thing that's easiest to grab a lot of times. Right, right, right. So, so I've got a sight out of out of mind. Yeah. Uh, the the friction part it makes a ton of sense, right? And mm -hmm. it, it applies to a lot of things. And and one thing that I I I talk about with a lot of kids, like when we're talking, you know, if they're who they're going to play for or stuff like that, like programs, like oh, if they're thinking about leaving. Like, or talking about, let's, let's say high school, because I have this high school conversation with every eighth grader. It's okay. You guys all like, you want to go to, let's you know, private school a, well, private school a is seven minutes from your house. That's going to make it a lot easier for you than private school B, which is 35 minutes where you've got to take the train to like, think about the amount of things you're able to accomplish at private school a being so close having accessibility as opposed to private school B, which might have a better, let's say reputation as a program, but you're going to have to spend, you have to plan your day out a little bit more. It's not going to be easy for you to get to and from school. Um, honestly, that was my going to high school. Like that was my biggest uh, debate, whether I go to the school that was two minutes from my house, that wasn't as good at athletics and academics, or I go to the school that was downtown Chicago that would have taken me almost an hour to get to. But number one baseball school coming out, coming into high school, really high academic school. And I, cho I actually chose a school five minutes from my house and it worked out great. Obviously, looking back on it, I would do it again. But the friction of just having over just the multiple layers of things you have to go through just to achieve the same, essentially the same thing of, let's say, just working out after school. It's so much more friction when, you're, when you add yeah. in all those factors. Friction is a really good word for, for what we're talking about, I think. Well, and it's big in just software design in general. Like one of the examples in, in this book, good, good Habits, Bad Habits, was Uber. And when they designed the app, they wanted you to literally just be able to open it. It knows where you are. You push like one button. It doesn't even ask you like, it wasn't even supposed to like tell you how much it costs. Just like push a button and like someone right. comes, get, comes to get you. And there's a lot of stuff that does that. Amazon has so many things to make it less friction, like one click buy, like all that stuff. It's very easy. Mm -hmm. um, but your example is a good one. And like I, I grew up, my back fence, if I hopped it, which was like an eight foot fence, there was friction. Uh, if I hopped my back fence, there was a JV baseball field of uh, a private school. 
So I would hop that fence and we would, I'd just be like, be playing baseball 30 seconds later with my dad or a friend or whatever. We'd be hitting yep. each other fly balls and made it super easy. And, and a prime example, this is why I defend city life. And of course, like everyone, I am outspoken that I, I, I detest living in the suburbs. I just like, I, I, I didn't know when I was in college, what I, how I wanted to live. Like, you don't know. Yep. And then as I, uh, I lived in, in central Illinois and it had nothing to do with that community in general. Um, I just don't like suburb life. I don't like being in my house. I don't like being on the couch. I don't really like watching TV. And when you live in the suburb, you have like this safe, comfortable life, which is fine. Again, I'm not judging anyone else's choices, but my own. Um, but you have to get in your car to go anywhere. So if you want to go, obviously to get any sort of errand done, you have to go in your car. But also if you want to just like go sit in a park for 45 minutes under a tree and like read, you have to get in your car and do it in most cases, right? If you want to exercise, you have to either run down, jog down your street or, um, and not every, you know, neighborhood in the suburbs is, is like really jogging conducive. It's like maybe a really boring jog or you can only do like the same route or there's like a major highway or, or whatever. Um, and then if you want to go to the gym, you have to get in your car to go to the gym. If you want to go grab something in the grocery store, you have to get in your car to go to the grocery store. Right. Whereas in the city, I, I walk everywhere I want to walk. I can walk to a park for 20 minutes and it like makes sense. Like you could walk somewhere for 20 minutes and come back home or stop somewhere for 20 minutes and then continue on home. But you would never do that in real life. Like you would never get in your car and drive 15 minutes to sit in a park for 20 minutes to then drive home 15 more minutes, right? That would like, people don't right. do that. So for me, that's the lifestyle that I want. Like I walk... 30 ish miles a week. I really enjoy it. It's like one of those little things It just, I, I feel, feel you can do a lot more things that are less of a commitment in a city. And so there's less friction to do all those little things. And then walking is healthy in general. Even when I was on vacation with my family two weeks ago, like this nice lake house cabin that we were at, um, it wasn't, you, there were no trails there, like on this little plot of land. It was just like the lake and like pretty heavy forest. And then a very dangerous main road, like kind of far out. So it wasn't even very joggable. And then there was no gym anywhere close. So actually, if you like lived in that lake house, even though it's like beautiful in the woods and nature, it's not very fitness friendly. You know what I mean? And so if you start thinking about like, if I wanted to, if I moved to that lake house, for example, it would be legitimately difficult for me to keep up the same like amount of fitness and like healthy lifestyle that I currently sort of have where I work out three or four days a week and walk a ton too, just like the friction of it. And I think that's suburb life is really common in America. Obviously that's where everyone aspires to be. And I think it contributes just to being sedentary because you have to get in your car to go anywhere to do fitness things for the most part. Obviously you can jog down your development. I'm not saying you can't, but it's like less walking and, and running. is like less stitched into your life. So, yeah. I mean, I'm a okay. city guy. I'm a city guy. So I empathize with, uh, with your sentiment to everything being centralized in the city. Uh, I, I just, I mean, there's, there's multiple reasons to like living in the city. There's obviously tons of reasons to like living in the suburbs. People do it all the time. Um, the city just, I mean, personality wise, the city just makes more sense for a lot of people, I think. Yeah. And, and it doesn't, it doesn't, doesn't make, make sense, sense for others. Right. Yeah, for sure. So we've got a comment on, on your Twitter poll from local college coach. He says, I feel like when guys are the hardest worker in the room, they know no difference. In my experience with working with, with these kids, they don't seem to let it be known they work hard. They just do it. I would agree with that. Joel, that's totally. a good comment. Yeah. Um, totally. But is it, so as someone like you're working with college athletes and if Joel's still, still on with us, maybe he'll jump in and answer. Um, you know, if you're working with college athletes, you kind of have those habits established already when you get to college normally. And then some guys will maybe some guys will feed off somebody else's habits or have an, some guys will have an infectious personality where they, where they will put habits into you cause they do it. Um, but I think he's, I think he's spot on that. It's, it's not like, Oh, let me show you how good of habits I have. Like, that's just, that's all they know. Like they've been ingrained with that mm -hmm. for so long. And it's, it's second nature for a lot of those guys. Yeah. And without, without tooting my own horn, like that was my reputation on my college during the five years that I was there. And I, I wouldn't have said that I like thought anything different about it. I didn't think I was like, 
I was mentally consumed with being a pro player, but really I just, I don't know. I just showed up and I did my thing and I felt like my effort level was just higher than some like during practice or during conditioning. But then after I've established a lot of things, like I just didn't go back to not running. Like I would just run three days a week on my own. And like, I would get out of bed and go work out on the weekends. Like when we didn't have team workouts, like they weren't things that, like you said, they weren't things that I thought about doing. I just did them. Right. And like I did pitching drills in my house most days of the week. And I did my arm care, you know, like four or five days a week for like my whole 18 to 31 when I retired and you don't think much about it. Like you just do it. And a lot of times it sucks and you like are very conscious of how much it sucks, but you just kind of like do it. So yeah, some of it, I think too, some of it, I think too, is just the, like, I don't want to say that it's, that it's borderline psychotic, but it's like, some guys are so competitive that everything they do, it's like, okay, well, I'm going to be the best at this. And that, and then those, like their habits, it just seems maybe for Joel's team, he's got guys like that where they, like they get in the weight room and yeah, that's all they know is to work hard and try and be better and get stronger than you. But it's like, it's, it's all, it's just the mental, like they, they attack everything that's put in front of them as if like, okay, I'm going to conquer this as opposed to this is something I have to do. Like they're, yeah. it's, it's more of a, like a, I want to, I don't want to say like a total mindset, but it's, it's definitely like the mindset of, all right, well, I'm going to get stronger today. Like we're in the weight room. Like I'm going to get stronger today as opposed to I've got 6am lifting. Like I need to show up. Like, hey, you need to show up, but you can also get something out of it if you want it and you can reach, you know, new goals, new heights, whatever. It's definitely a mindset aspect. And you see it a lot. Like guys go through the motion, like people go through the motions, like your life is so structured. Like I have school from eight to three. I've got practice from three thirty to five thirty. I eat dinner at six. I do my homework. I play a video game. I go to sleep. Like they're so structured where there's no like that you just almost drain your whole body of competitiveness of any kind of motivation and it reflects in your habits. Like you just kind of run with whatever, whatever's the next thing. What's the next thing I have to do? Yeah. Well, and it's, it's funny, like foods are really interesting example. I, so I eat a lot of, I eat a lot of fruit and I generally eat healthy. Like I, I, it's hard to compare your own, eating habits to other people like so a lot of times i feel like i'm not eating that healthy but i'd say compared to like most americans which is a very low bar <laughs> um i typically am but i am very aware i need to eat more vegetables because they're the most friction full you have to cook you have to cook them essentially right vegetables sure. you can't grab like i <laughs> i was eating this watermelon <laughs> before we went on air um i love watermelon but fruit is great because you can grab it and you can just eat it i mean like the vast majority of varieties, right? And they're different depending on the season. I'm just like a fan of fruit in general. It's a very frictionless, easy thing to eat. Um, so are, and like, you know, carbs are relatively easy to cook. You can throw a pot of rice on whatever. And it's like, you got it for a couple of days, but like vegetables have a shelf life. You don't tend to make them in massive quantities. They have to be, it's just like, it's, it just takes effort. And for me, that's where the bottleneck is, where I made broccoli last night and I was proud of myself, even though my apartment smelled like broccoli until the, even this morning. Um, <laughs> but it's it takes conscious effort for me right now to say, and so I've been thinking, how do I get, how do I make cooking vegetables like a zombie motion in my daily routine? That's like a big question because it's not like it's it's a hard thing. I actually like broccoli. Like I like Brussels sprouts. I like asparagus. I like most vegetables, especially when you put like a little bit of effort in and cook them just even with salt and pepper. Like I'm not that hard to please. Like I don't have to cover all my vegetables in like ranch dressing for them to be palatable. Honestly, right. like the, the stage is set for me like taste-wise to like make vegetables a part of my life. I ever eat them at a restaurant or I say ever. Like anytime someone's made me a, a dinner, like I go home, my mom cooks or my sister cooks and there's like plates covered in vegetables. It's like, this is great. Like it's never a meal that I don't want to eat. It's just the friction of cooking. It is the only, the, the only reason that's not consistently in my diet. So the question is, Bobby, how can we trick me? How can we get me into zombie mode to m make more vegetables? This I think you just, question. I honestly think you got to find your local, like to find the closest buffet and just, 
just go there. I mean, that's isn't that the beauty of buffets is that there is no friction. You can just like my plate can have prime rib and an ice cream sundae on it. Same same time, no friction. I do miss Golden Corral, just crushing food in college and then feeling <laughs> terrible and spending time in the bathroom afterwards. But absolutely terrible afterwards. Well, I think, I think some of it. Go, go ahead. ahead. I'm sorry. Go ahead. I was going to say, I think some of it is uh, portion size for me. So I like Costco has a huge three pound bag of broccoli of like broccoli florets, fresh. Mm-hmm. Not, they're not organic, but it's a great deal. It's like $5 for three pounds. And I would buy that and I would waste the whole bag. I wouldn't even open it because I would see it and I'd be like, it looks like so much work to cook all that broccoli. <laughs> you right. know what I mean? But the other day I got a, a one pound bag, which is like this big at Trader Joe's organic broccoli. It's like, not expensive either. And I knew that I could throw the whole bag in the pot, which is what I did last night. I didn't have to think about it. I just cut it open, dump the whole bag in my little pot and steam it. And it'd be like two days worth, which I ate about half of it last night. Well, you know, broccoli cooks down a lot. And I think that's part of it for me. Just like seeing portion size and feeling overwhelmed. That's like, even which is it's dumb to feel overwhelmed by a bag of broccoli. But I think that there's something to that where it's like, it just seems like so much to get through all of that. I got to eat all that before it expires. It, you know, I have to, I have to unwrap it and then wrap it back up. That's laziness. But at the same time, I feel like if I, mm-hmm. if even if I just got that big bag of broccoli and portioned it out into three, three smaller Tupperwares, and then I say, oh, I can just eat one of those. I can just throw that in the in the steamer today. That's easy, and that's like reducing that friction. So. Um, I realize we're getting off of baseball talks, but I feel like a lot of the struggles that both you and I have with habits are probably ones that our listeners are struggling with too. So feel free to throw something in the comments if you're listening. Um, Cause all of us struggle to eat healthy foods and it's not that we don't, I think most people like the vegetables they get at a restaurant, which are not that hard to reproduce like a little olive oil, a little butter, a little salt and pepper, whatever, you know, you made it at home. It's just, it's just the effort and making that effort easy and consistent to have well we've we've talked about this in the in the past like the the wegmans and the and the grocery stores that now have like the hot food mm-hmm. like when whenever i've ever gone to those like vegetables have been the staple right like they've got cooked broccoli they've got cooked cauliflower they've got cooked carrots like yeah i'm piling those into the box along with whatever a piece of chicken or whatever end up you end up eating but like there is no friction there it's all made for you so then you're you're making better choices. I mean, granted, they do have like the fried chicken, the, the chicken wings, the, you know, they have like a Chinese uh, taco bar. Like, yeah, that stuff is appealing, but it's the less Chinese appealing. taco bar. What is that? <laughs> General Sun's chicken delicious. and a taco does sound great. Oh man. But it's le- like, yeah, that stuff is appealing when you're driving when you're driving down the street and you're like, what do I want for dinner? Do I pick up tacos at the local stand or do I go home and make broccoli and, and carrots yeah you pick up tacos because it's easier right <laughs> what a choice right. right pick up chopped tacos or go home and make broccoli and carrots <laughs> yeah that's why people don't eat vegetables because that's, that's why we don't eat vegetables but when you go there and it's already made it's like okay this is all going to take the same amount of time i know this is eating better so i'm gonna eat it joel says and he responded thanks joel he says uh if you're trying to convince everyone in the room you're working hard you're taking time away from actually working hard and it's, yeah, you're posturing, right? Like mm-hmm. you're posturing for everybody when in fact, just go do it. Everybody notices, like everybody knows who the best player on the team is anytime you're on the team. Anybody knows who the hardest working guy is on the team, or at least the group of hardest working guys. Like everybody knows who's the most responsible guy, like who shows up first to the clubhouse. Everybody knows who's working out every day. Like these aren't secrets. Everybody knows who's wasting talent, which is another thing. Like every. Everybody looks into the locker room and sees like, man, if this guy would just do this, yeah. he would be so much better than he currently is. And why doesn't he do that? Like, it doesn't make sense to someone as an outsider looking at somebody. We've all played with this guy. Like, if this kid would just do anything more than he's doing, he would be yeah. a big leaguer and he would be, a, you know, an everyday all-star. Like, he just – it just doesn't it's, – it's funny that it hits other people but it doesn't hit that specific person. And it's, well, and it's habit-based. It really is habit-based. Yeah, and, that's, and I guess that's where I was getting at is, so say you take that guy who wastes his talent, which, again, we all have had teammates that are like that, and you say, okay, well, let's just find a way to build the habits that he needs to be a harder worker. Does that actually work, though? I mean, it doesn't override a lack of intrinsic motivation, does it? And that's the thing, because really that's what you think of. You think of, 
a harder worker on your team as having more intrinsic motivation and more self drive than the people that don't work as hard. Right. But then again, and so then that drive is that drive what it takes to really get over the hump and build habits. Like, like for me right now, COVID has been, um, good and bad for me. It's been good in the sense that I'm now overcoming hurdles that like got so bad that, um, they had to change. So for me, I think I realized that over the last couple of years, I probably had the same level of phone addiction that every person has probably not more or less. Like, you know, I was still obviously like I wrote a book in 2019. Like I, I, I do a lot of stuff. So it's not like obviously crippling me, but I probably had the same moderate amount of like constantly picking up and checking my phone, you know, not feeling, you know, feeling sort of anxious, which is so embarrassing when you're like, you don't have it on you or you can't be reached. You're like afraid to be without it. I had all that same stuff. And then at COVID it got worse to the point where I was like, I can't even focus on writing when I have free time. I can't even focus on this or that or the other thing I could feel. It was finally, it finally got worse to the point where it was like, this has to change. And now it's changed dramatically in the last month, which has been great. And if it hadn't gotten that bad, I would have still probably be at the same moderate level, which was definitely impacting me negatively, but I wasn't to the point where I needed to change. You know what I mean? A lot of times you have to hit rock bottom to actually make a change. Sure. So it happens more often than not, I feel like. Yeah. And not like rock bottom for me. It was like, you know, in a dumpster in the alley, like with my phone, but it was just the point where, like I said, I couldn't, I'm like, all right, I have a bunch of time today. I'm going to work on my book. I just like couldn't focus. I was just like picking up my phone, like just do it. And it's like nothing. Like I don't even like social media. So that's been the fact that I got there has been a good change. And that's why some of this, this stuff, like I just finished that book on habits actually last night and just trying to like think of, okay, how can I continue on this positive trend and keep going in the direction that I want? And Bob being not phone dependent is just, it's glorious. Yeah. Really? It. It's, it's so it's like, it's still getting better and it's still, I'm still finding things to put in that time. But honestly, it's like nice when you stop thinking about it, where you're just like, I can stare at my food while I eat it in silence and it's okay. And I think and stuff <laughs> like I think, you know what I mean? You lose that. People are like constantly trying to like, like I was in the Apple store uh, really briefly yesterday and um, I picked up my book and like I looked around and I was like staring at their phone, staring at their phone, staring at their phone, staring at the phone while we're waiting for our mm-hmm. genius point person appointment. And I'm like, I'm not doing that. And I pulled out my book that I was, and I read like six pages, which ordinarily seems stupid. Like I like to like kind of be doing something consistently for a long time, not like read a book for five seconds. Yeah. But I did, I, I didn't know how long it was going to be. So I ended up reading like six or seven pages in like the short time that I was waiting. And I just was like, this is building a habit. I'm not picking up my phone. I'm picking up a book instead. And that's why I did it. Um, so just like stuff like that, that's been a positive random. I mean, thing. I, yeah. I was definitely, I was a late adopter to the smartphone, like significantly late adopter to the smartphone. You were, we made fun of you. I remember this. Yeah. All the time I had a flip phone phone. and I would, Mm -hmm. and I would go back to it. Honestly, if I didn't have to, if I didn't have to answer emails and have access to information, you're right, Dan. I smacked my water bottle, very filled with water and it wobbled (laughs) and it didn't (laughs) fall. What a wonderful day it is. Okay. But if I had, if I didn't have to have like this code and honestly, when I do leave my phone in the car or if I'll go, go work out and I'll leave my phone, like I won't even use it for music. It's so much nicer. Like I just, you come back and there's like, you don't realize how much in like your three, four five text messages in over 45 minutes that you didn't respond to two missed calls, like seven emails that came through, but it's, you know what? Like everybody can wait. Like nothing is that urgent normally. I mean, my wife is pregnant, so nothing is necessarily that urgent. This is my current book. The one I was reading in the Apple store, it's called Do Nothing by Celeste Headley. Um, And she's talking about the work week. I guess like the first half of it is uh, how we've gotten here, where we feel like we work all the time, all of us humans. It's terrible. It didn't used to be be that way. And we actually don't work as much as we think we do, apparently. but we make ourselves miserable, right? which is true, which I've been thinking about this a lot over the last three years or the last three months, 
and the the downtime away has just fostered a lot of thought about what is meaningful to me and what I think and I look at other people and wonder if they find meaning in their lives at all and then the jobs that they do I've thought a lot about this I've been watching can I share a really interesting experience my morning yesterday my morning sure. yesterday was fascinating <laughs> where were you it was fascinating and I'm and I'm so and understand there's not a drop of sarcasm in this story it's just a it's just so don't take this as me like picking on this this homeless guy because i'm absolutely not it's not how i mean this so yesterday i got up at 6 30 as i did today and i the first thing i did was leave my phone here and i went for a walk and of course yesterday i actually was out the whole day so i took everything with me so i walked to lafayette lafayette square in dc which mm -hmm. is they actually just finished the uh, the fence in front of the White House. So it actually looks great. You can actually see the White House now from Lafayette Park, which you couldn't before when I moved here back in September. Um, they had this big white thing because they were doing new fence construction. They're actually finishing it now, which is great, which is cool. You can see the White House again. Um, so anyway, so I'm in the park and I'm sitting there. I'm reading this book. And it's like 730. It took me a half hour to walk there. And uh, so maybe like 10 minutes in, a, a homeless guy walks by he's probably my age or a little younger and he just like sits down on a bench near me and then after a little while he gets up and he just lays down the grass just like lays down on his back and then another 10 minutes goes by and a guy walks by in a revolutionary war uniform carrying <laughs> carrying or or pulling a cart with a electric piano on it i'm like oh okay fair enough <laughs> you know and he wheels it over in front of the white house and he starts to play the piano and it's like really, really loud. And he's like legit. I mean, he's I don't know what he's playing, but it was impressive. He's playing right. the piano. Like he was clearly like a somebody on the piano back in, in his day or still is or whatever. But either way, he's got like this long, long blonde beard in a revolutionary war uniform, <laughs> just playing the piano towards the white house. And this homeless guy gets up and he, and he looks over me, has this big smile on his face. And of course, like, I, I didn't know how to interpret his smile. But anyway, he walks over way over that way. So like pretty far away from me now. And I just watched from afar for the next 20 minutes as this guy just like essentially ballroom dances with himself, just twirling around, listening to this guy playing piano. And again, I'm like the mental illness of homeless people is a, it's a really tragic thing. And I, I walk by and I, I think about homeless people a lot in the sense that I I'm I just like have a lot of uh, empathy or not empathy, but compassion for them. And I'm looking around the community and I'm actually uh, going to volunteer for a different thing later today. But um, so I'm not, I'm not pointing out this morning because it was like this like ha ha thing. It, it, not, it was just like, I, I, as I watched this guy dance to this revolutionary war piano, man, I just wondered, is this, is this man like, even though he's, got some sort of mental illness is he happier than most of the people in dc honestly like, like right now is, is he happier percent in these people that have five thousand ten thousand dollar a month apartments that have this job that ultimately maybe doesn't contribute anything to the world like does this this guy who's just for for half an hour just dancing just with genuine joy that there's music playing in this park and lafayette park is beautiful lafayette square it's like really green right now and really nice I don't know if it's called Parker Square. It's Lafayette Square, right? I think so. But that, but that, but that was my thought, and that's the point of the story. It's again, it's not like like there was no, no no part of me was laughing at this man. It was just looking around and and wondering, as smart as people are, and as much technology as we have, and these important jobs, these like self important jobs that we have, and the money that we make, like what does happiness mean to people? Because again, so like that at that moment, he was the happiest guy in D.C. Whether he had a mental illness or not, that's, that's who he was at that moment. Happier than I was. Happier than probably most of people wanted to that park. Happier than the man in the White House. That's for sure. You know? <laughs> Debatable. So I don't know. How about, so when someone makes a big change, right? Like someone gets a new job, someone decides to move. Like we just had one of our, our one of my best friends just moved to Wisconsin. Sold their house. They lived in the city of Chicago. Moved across the border. They're like, they're only like an hour away, but they moved on three acres and it was a lot of had to do with what's happening now. Like everybody's locked down, like 
her and her husband are just like, we're out. Like we're done with this. She's like, I can work remote. He travels for work anyways. And we saw them this past weekend at a wedding at like a small wedding, like 30 people. And we're talking to him like, Hey, how's the new house? And they're like, Oh, we love it. And then, you know, instinctively, like the question I always ask is, are you happy? Like, did you make a good move? Are you happy? And it was like a resounding, absolutely. Like couldn't be happier. And I think you, I don't think people ask that question enough. Like, Dan, you moved from Bloomington normal to DC. Like, how is it? Are you happy? I'm like, yeah, you, it's, I mean, overarching sentiment I get from you is that you made a good move. Like you're happy in the decision you made. Um, and there were stops along the way between that, obviously with you, but it's a, you know, people's, someone starts a new job and instinctively like my head's like, well, are you happy? Like, is this something you want to be doing or is it just a, a bigger paycheck? And which is fine. Like money does help to, in the grand scheme of like being happy, like it allows you to do things that make you happy, but yeah. nobody really asks like that. Like you said, that homeless guy and you see a lot of people that don't have a lot of money, but there's, they're, extremely happy like and content with where they're at and they enjoy their life and they make the most of their life i mean i've got friends that don't have the the highest paying of jobs that travel all the time and they live very mod modestly and they couldn't be happier i've also got friends and we probably both know people that make you know six figures close to seven figures that are miserable and they hate their jobs and they cannot stand their life right now and they're not happy so, I mean, yeah. you know, it's, uh, this guy is, is, you know, debunking that you need everything in life material wise to be happy. Like, yeah. I mean, I would love to go dance in Lafayette park, not have a care in the world instead of answering an email or a text message or scheduling a, you know, a makeup game or something like that. Like that sounds like a very stress-free lifestyle. <laughs> well. I'm in. I mean, it just was a, it was just an interesting moment at an intersection of a lot of thought on just like happiness and like what, you know, people want out of their lives and like what drives people and what should we spend our time on and what is the, the role of leisure. And that's one of the interesting things about this book is um, we, uh, we all have, I think more than ever, we have this idea that our time is tied to money. And that's one of the points in this book that I, that I enjoy hearing about, which is true for myself and for others that when you're not doing something productive, quote unquote, like you're essentially wasting money. That's like mm -hmm. a modern, that's like a modern thought, you know? And, um, it's an interesting, uh, I don't know. It's an interesting thing to think about and how that's that, sh and then how that shapes your lot, your life, you know, like going back to your laptop at 11 PM. Right. Like, All right. So let's tie it. Let's, let's end on this. Let's tie it back into habits. So if you have to give one habit that you currently do, that makes everybody ha that makes you happy that you think that would benefit other people. Like what's the one thing you would, you would advise. Let's, let's, let's tailor it to younger, like younger athletes. Like if you can go back and tell your 15 year old self, start creating this habit, it's going to make you a lot happier. I really think it, I, th I think it's not one thing. I think it's, I really do think it's disconnecting from technology because when you feel the silence again of your own mind, you start to find ways to fill it. And whether it's thought, whether it's like, you know, I want to, you know, how many of us like used to have little habits, like little crafts that we would do or little things we did to like people used to collect baseball cards. Like people have collections and do little arts and crafts and mm -hmm. create art. I used to weld in high school and work on cars. Um, things that got replaced by things that are more pr productive, quote unquote. And of course I still, a lot of the things that I do personally, like I, I like making YouTube videos. I like writing. Like when I have free time, I'm, I'm eager to sit down and work on a book, even though it's hard, it is physically difficult to like get some of that stuff worked through on page. Um, and that all that becomes easier and you start to like find out what your creative outlets are when you just have this like time in silence. And even like, I'd say one thing that I do that I would recommend is, just just like wander around without music or a podcast or an audiobook playing and i'm like the king of audiobooks but at the same time i walk more these days without any anything f flowing through my brain just silence and it's nice to hear the city to hear my own thoughts and you fill that time with your own thoughts which is good you start to think about more stuff and that's so i'd say 
without being preachy about disconnecting from your phone, just find more time to like have silence flowing between your ears. What do you got? You stole my thunder. I was going to, I'll add off of that and read, just read, read something, read anything, you know, use your brain. So like read the newspaper, pick up a book, read an article, even if you've got to do it on your phone, like read, don't scroll, don't scroll Facebook, don't scroll Instagram, don't scroll Twitter, read something, read an article. You know, it's the bigger overarching one is put the phone down, like, enjoy something active, find something active that appeals to you that you can do and it's fun and it's, and it takes you away from the monotony of staring at a screen. I mean, we're both currently staring at electronics and telling people not to, but the the irony of that is funny to me, but it's, it's true. Like you don't, what you said makes total sense. Like let you get lost in your own mind. Like you want to want to be creative. You want to, you know, you wonder how all these other like creative people aren't the ones sitting in the cubicle, like typing away. They're the ones that are letting their mind wander a little bit, like seeing a problem, solving it, you know, just turning the phone off and ex- like going outside and experiencing like what's happening around you. So I would, I would, in addition to putting the phone down, I would say find something active that engages you and run with it, whether it's a sport, whether it's just a, exercise activity walking maybe it's just going for a walk do something that disconnects you from a set it what is that set it set it dentures what am i saying so that's sedentary sedentary lifestyle and get active get moving this is why you're here dan vocabulary this is why we're here that's why we're here you know you know my new favorite vocabulary not it's not a new vocabulary word but I feel like it's crossed my mind recently a bunch. Ambivalent. It's just a good word. <laughs> Why? I don't know. Just it feels good rolling off the tongue. Ambivalent. It's weird. There's not many words that have like. I don't know. Uh, there's not many. There's not many words that just roll off the tongue like ambivalent. Nope. All right. Well, thanks for being here. We will see you here on Friday on the morning brushback. We do have some guests uh, in the works for the future. Maybe we'll have one Friday. Maybe we won't. Tune in. We'll see. Be sure to leave a review for us on iTunes or Spotify. We would appreciate it. And uh, recommend the show to a friend. I'll be any last words. No, for for those still listening, go outside, do something active today. Do something active. All right, see you next uh, next time in the morning. See you.